You're listening to the Taiwan Matters Podcast, in-depth discussions on the issues that matter in Taiwan. Taiwan is doing a great job, and the reason it is doing a great job because our system is transparent, open, and all the best experts, they trust our solution. They will pick our solution. We're now seeing Taiwan as really the natural choice if you're working in the digital field, specifically because we're the only country in Asia now that allows for complete freedom of speech, of assembly and other civic freedoms. I'm your host, Nicholas Gould. You just heard Ethan Tu, founder of Taiwan AI Labs, and Audrey Tang, Taiwan's digital minister without portfolio. Both hold legendary reputations in Taiwan's digital space. Ethan Tu, while a student at Taiwan University, founded PTT, the world's largest Chinese-language bulletin board system. Audrey Tang was a software coder and silicone entrepreneur while in his teens. Both are leading proponents of Taiwan's free data movement. Our topic is Taiwan's technology dividend the profit Taiwan stands to gain from its innovations in the fight against COVID-19. At this time in early July, Taiwan is in its third month without a domestic case of COVID-19. But the coronavirus continues to spread at alarming rates in the U.S. and other parts of the world. The scale of the pandemic is driving countries to look for better ways to fight the virus. One idea being tried around the world with varying degrees of success is the use of mobile phone apps to automate the process of contact tracing, social distancing, and isolating. The problem with many of these apps is overcoming people's fear of losing their privacy and a general lack of trust in governments having too much personal data. Taiwan has a software solution, and it is sharing it with the world. Taiwan AI Labs is offering an open-source code which leverages Bluetooth to collect decentralized data without needing users' identities. It is just one example of how Taiwan's open-source, free software ethos is helping the global anti-coronavirus effort. We'll be looking at other such innovations and what it is about the so-called Taiwan model that fosters its technological creativity. We join Digital Minister Tang at her office. Minister Tang, thank you very much for being on Taiwan Matters podcast. Taiwan has gained an, a lot of international praise, international recognition for the success that it's had fighting coronavirus. A large part of that success, we could credit to good old-fashioned contact and tracing, very speedy response, closing the borders, controlling international travel. But another part that played also a very significant role was Taiwan implementing big data technologies, the use of the internet, a lot of things that weren't available in the SARS experience in 2003. And I'd like you to talk about how you think Taiwan was able to respond in that way with its big data response. Sure. Another important factor that I would like to highlight before 
talking about the data is that you're now wearing a medical mask, even though we're one and a half meters apart. And that contributed a lot to the success of Taiwan's response as well. Um, in fact, mass distribution is one of the most important goals uh, during our counter-coronavirus pandemic, because in Taiwan, wearing a mask signals to other people that you're taking care of yourself, right? You're not putting your hand to your mouth and you're washing your hands properly. And these social signals make sure that people have the right habit so that the coronavirus does not spread, even though there may be individual community cases. We've never entered the case of community spread and therefore no lockdowns. And how do we enable everybody who feel like wearing a medical mask to get a medical mask? That's where big data comes in. Uh, we have a national health insurance cost system, which covers more than 99.9% of the citizens and also many residents, so that anyone with a NHI card can go to a nearby pharmacy and collect now nine masks if you're an adult every two weeks or 10 if you are a child. But how would you know that which pharmacy near you still have masks installed? Well, they publish in a distributed ledger, that is to say everybody with more than 100 applications can see through voice assistance, uh, I guess here, through voice assistance and see through real-time maps and so on, what are the pharmacies that near them that still have in stock. And also when you swipe your NHI card and uh, get nine masks, you can see after a couple minutes or here that they have depleted the stock uh, by nine or ten. And if it rather increases after a couple of minutes, you will call 192 and report something wrong is going on. So real-time distribution of data, data that is jointly audited and accountable to the social sector, has been at the root of the trust that is built by the mask rationing system. I have journalist friends who called me at the beginning of the pandemic wanting to know how it is that Taiwan was doing so well. And I would explain to them about uh, the use of data, about uh, getting a QR code when you enter the country, the quarantine system, and knowing with GPS. Their response was, oh, well, that would never work here. You know, Americans or Europeans would never accept that kind of uh, intrusion. And we did not use GPS for the record. We used cell phone tower triangulation. The difference being in the level of privacy. That's exactly right. With the GPS, the phone knows exactly which room you are in because it's a very precise uh, geolocation. While the signal uh, collected by the cell phone towers is already collected, this is not new data that we're collecting. Your telecom already collect that data for the service. And we already use that, for example, when there is a heavy rainfall following a typhoon, and you are in a risky area that can suffer from the landslides, for example. Uh, there is an automated SMS that's sent to people to that area that says you should probably evacuate, <laughs> but it does not track the GPS location of your phone. We just have this, what we call a digital fence, uh, a um, polygon uh, in the map that we send the SMS to. So the same system has been repurposed for the quarantining purposes. Yet there was another situation where they merged the NHI data with the customs immigration data. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as being more of an infringement on, on privacy. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it is actually according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, it is the duty of patients uh, to tell the medical officers and the clinicians of their recent travel history if they have been to Wuhan and so on. But of course, people may have 
imprecise memory, uh, or maybe they do not want to divulge uh, more private information, and so on. So uh, the integration is actually part of uh, what the CDC already require for the patient to tell the clinicians that of their travel history. Now, of course, it's debatable whether that this automated uh, showing of their travel history to the doctors uh, is a proper proportionate use of the private data. And I would simply say that at a time where the CDC rolls out these measures, the approval rate of those measures was 91%, and now it's at 94%. I'm not pretending there's no 9% or 6% of people who are uh, thinking that it's not uh, appropriate, and it's good because we have not declared emergency situation. So these 6% of people keep us honest because we have to make an account to the parliament, to the MPs. But I would say that this has won the popular support of most people. It's on that point of uh, popular support if you think that the experience in Taiwan, what's being called the Taiwan model, is it replicable in other countries, for instance, the United States or Western Europe, in the sense that is the population in Taiwan more trusting of their government and the protection of their privacy? I would say that these ideas came from the civic sector. That is the root reason of why people adhere to them. Because the mask map is certainly not a government idea. It's prototyped by a Tainan civic technologist with the name Wu Jiangwei Howard Wu. And uh, the linking of the data around the customs uh, with the NHI system uh, was not a government official's idea. This is from a clinician uh, who told the vice premier of that idea. Uh, and the mask use, for example, as a social signal is actually by popular experience after SARS. And so when the CECC tells people to wear masks in, for example, public transport, they do that. Uh, but when CECC says that you can take off the mask when you're keeping the physical distance, people wear the mask anyway. And so because of that, it is a civic sector that wins the legitimacy because most of these were their ideas. So, for example, around the mask use, the mask built as something that protects you from your own hand. That's part of Taiwan model that every other jurisdictions can very easily adapt. There seems to be difficulty in a lot of countries rolling out a contact and tracing phone app. Because it collects new data. Yet Taiwan... I, I, we do not collect new data. In other words, the system that you've uh, designed for contact tracing is the, uh, not, is the distributed information. Right. In essence, uh, people are not used to the new collections of data. Of course, when you introduce new data collection applications, you need to make sure that it's serving the best interest of the individual using it. Otherwise, they would not opt in. Of course, that's human nature. Uh, so because of that, Taiwan have not rolled out any Bluetooth or otherwise based app level contact tracing, precisely because people did not have experience using that sort of application. But now there there will be shortly, or the the app is built. It just has the time. No, it, it's built by the social sector. It's by a non not for profit uh, social innovation organization called the AI Labs, and they design it so that it's international. So they work, for example, with their UK counterparts. But I do not think that they are rolling out in Taiwan. They're not rolling it out in Taiwan, basically because the pandemic is more or less over now. We're here. now post-pandemic, You're yes. Post-pandemic, there doesn't seem to be a lot of need for it. But I'm wondering if you think it'll have success outside of Taiwan. It would need to have an incentive design, much like if you wear a mask as a sign to protect other people, to respect other people, that's a harder sell. 
because then the person wearing it is essentially making personal sacrifices、uh, for the community. But because in Taiwan we say you wear a mask to protect you from yourself, because you are not touching your mouth that much and you are washing your hands. As a reminder, that spreads much more easily. So the incentive design, the ideas we're spreading, it's as important as the underlying technology. If you have an incentive design that can get people to think, oh, it's in my best interest to do so. When the contact tracers come for me, when the medical officers ask me questions, maybe this app helped me to protect my privacy and my friends and family's privacy by sharing with them only the essential information instead of any other information I might have divulged during traditional interviews. That may be a better incentive. Uh, alignment than the traditional way of saying no. You just have to install this app instead of the public common good. That may not work as well. We'll rejoin Digital Minister Tang shortly, but for more on the mobile phone social distancing app, I went to Taiwan AI Labs to speak with Ethan Tu. Is it officially released? Is it ready for public use? Uh, it's already passed the review. Then we are already on the app store ready for release. But right now we haven't released yet because you know in Taiwan right now <laughs> we are more in a status to support other country to release this app because in Taiwan you know there's no confirmed cases. Right now it's not a priority. We might not be seeing AI Labs social distancing app in Taiwan. But dozens of institutes around the world have downloaded the algorithm, and versions of the privacy design will be part of the more successful applications we're starting to see in the UK and Germany, for example. Taiwan AI Labs has developed other useful tools in the fight against COVID-19. Many of these fall under the category of precision medicine, such as a chest X-ray classifier, which can automatically scan for COVID-19. You should check out their website to see all the different projects. All the work is done under the principle of open source, free software. Before establishing AI Labs in Taiwan, Ethan too worked on artificial intelligence at Microsoft, and I asked him how his lab is different. Do you think there's a trade-off between an open system and making money? Openness does not conflict with the economic benefit. Actually, the openness will promote economic growth of the new talent and new innovations. That was also one of the major reason we want to fund Taiwan AI Lab in Taiwan because I think the best way to promote the software ecosystem is starting from the open institutes like AI Lab for the future innovations. I believe after a couple of years, we will also see a lot of good innovations. Like right now, we already have a lot of good star company in Taiwan leveraging the results of our medical research and create their own solution. This creativity is much faster than the private owned company because if we do the innovation in an open way, all the people they can contribute their best part. It's just not like a private company when you talk to me, I need to sign an NDA. No. You want to work with Taiwan Airlines? You need to agree on openness before we will collaborate. Last, this is our main principle. AI Lab does more than healthcare. They also apply artificial intelligence to image recognition, natural language, and even music. Let's listen. 
This music was generated by feeding a computer an image of a coronavirus. The rapid advances of artificial intelligence make many nervous about the loss of human agency in critical activities and decisions. Already, AI is replacing people and eliminating jobs. Ethan, too, is well aware of these concerns. The new Taiwan government wants to leverage any AI solution. They should only leverage it under solution that can be validated and is transparent. Your AI will become a superpower. And if the algorithm still is not transparent, it will become a black box. And that black box will control your life in the future, including your Medicare, including how you drive your car, including the, the decision you make. You think you are making your own decision, however, it's actually the decision is picked up by the AI algorithm. So they are promoting openness of the algorithm and transparency of the platform. Where do you think the next major contributions from Taiwan artificial intelligence will be? So I believe the Medicare specific like precision medicine is one part that Taiwan in the future can contribute to the world. Taiwan is doing a great job, and the reason it is doing a great job because our system is trained to be transparent, to be open, and all the best experts around the world, they can join us to do the researches. I think this creativity will become more and more impactful because the people around us, they trust our solution. They will pick our solution. In this way, the innovation here it can fit in most part of the world. Taiwan AI Labs founder, Ethan Tu. AI Labs is a not-for-profit organization incubating AI startups. But the Taiwan government is prioritizing artificial intelligence as a strategic industry and spending on related infrastructure. For more on this, let's go back to our discussion with Digital Minister Audrey Tang. The government has placed new technologies, I use that broad term, new technologies, including artificial intelligence, other applications as a strategic industry. As the digital minister, how do you see that playing out? In other words, do you see Taiwan being able to leverage the success that it's had in coronavirus and technological applications to that end economically going forward? Oh, Definitely. Um, for example, uh, we have developed in our app of uh, mask pre-ordering. If you have plenty of masks or if you don't go outdoor much, uh, then maybe you do not collect the rationed masks from the pharmacies and the convenience stores uh, during the mask rationing. And so you have some uh, quota that was not used. And to date, there's more than 5 million medical masks of those uncollected quota voluntarily dedicated by the individuals uh, using the app for international humanitarian aid and Taiwan have sent all of them uh, to all the uh, frontline nurses and doctors uh, in other countries and because they understand the quality of the mask made in Taiwan is so good uh, now the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is also working with many other economies to basically export our plant 
building ways, so that uh, giving a parcel of land, electricity, water, and the PP supply, uh, we can make a industry for you uh, that makes twenty four hours a day around two million medical masks or N ninety five R ninety five your call, and the entire design is uh, localized, meaning that your、uh, local technicians will be able to maintain it without Taiwanese、um, uh, intervention, and so that sort of export, of course,、uh, builds this new recognition of the brand. Of made in Taiwan, and now、uh, when you have produced two million masks per day in those automated plants, you would want maybe a mask map、uh, or some way of rationing those masks、uh, in your nearby pharmacies or post office or convenience stores. In which case, you can talk to our IT vendors,、uh, and so all of this、uh, exports makes sure that people think of made in Taiwan, not just the products made in Taiwan, but also process made in Taiwan. Some of the applications, a lot of them are using artificial intelligence, especially in the precision medicine field. When I say AI, I always mean assistive intelligence,、uh, meaning like a good assistant. It need to act in your best interest, meaning that its value need to align with yours. And when it makes decisions that differs from your values, you need to ask it to give a full account of why. So. Value alignment and accountability are what a person would expect of a human assistant. So you would expect the same of this assistive intelligence that's based on machine learning. And so I think, including Ethan Du,、uh, the director of the AI Labs, align with these essentially social sector ideas of AI that we build a social norm and prove that this assistive intelligence work with the social norm instead of against the social norm. And this makes our assistive intelligence. Very easily exportable because you can just retrain it using your local norm. This is not a top-down way of us imposing a social order to you. And so, I think this makes Taiwan very naturally aligned with other liberal democracies. Do you think that we will see、uh, more international direct investment in uh, Taiwan's uh, tech sector as a result、uh, of these new? Uh, applications. Well, definitely. I mean, as part of the Asia dot Silicon Valley initiative, already since uh, Google uh, acquired a large part of HTC and Microsoft and many other、uh, multinationals setting up their AI research and development labs in Taiwan, we're now seeing Taiwan as really the natural choice if you're working in the internet field, in the digital field, specifically because according to the Civicus Monitor, we're the only country in Asia now that allows for complete freedom of speech, of assembly, and other civic freedoms. Previously, there's many journalists that's located in nearby jurisdictions such as、uh, Hong Kong and so on. But now they are relocating en masse to Taiwan,、uh, which is the headquarters of the Reporter Without Borders, for example, because they know they can think freely. And the same applies to the researchers and scientists. Yet one of the roadblocks or bottlenecks in that kind of Uh, direct investment has always been、uh, work visas and the openness of Taiwan to accept foreign workers. I think、uh, talent circulation、uh, is very important. So for many people, myself included,、uh, who were born in Taiwan,、uh, worked overseas, and go back, it's not just. 
me personally. I also bring many international friends with me to Taiwan to experience uh, in Taiwan, or even after they stay for five or more years, uh, they can be also Taiwanese, meaning that they get a citizenship of Taiwan, the Republic of Citizens, uh, without giving up their original nationality. Uh, and there's also the Gold Card program, which I think the first one who got it was the founder of YouTube. And so all of these uh, make sure that when Ethan Du actually is another good example because he was part of the Cortana uh, team in Microsoft. And when he founded AI Labs here, he also poached, well, invited uh, many of his colleagues back to Taiwan, even though they were not Taiwanese to begin with. And so I think this kind of talent circulation is not a zero-sum game. We want people who want to innovate to base their work in Taiwan, but also introduce Taiwan's innovation to other people. And so work visa or even volunteer visa, all sorts of different international NGOs, for example, example, were working very actively so that they can base their headquarter in Taiwan. You are a proponent of what you call uh, digital democracy. I think you've made uh, huge strides. Have you raised your uh, expectations for where you want to take the, the country's uh, digital development uh, next? Definitely. We have achieved largely the broadband as human right, which is Dr. Tsai Ing-wen's pr promise for her first term. Uh, anywhere in Taiwan now, you have 10 megabits per second as just 16 euros per month, unlimited connection. Otherwise, it's my fault. And when we are deploying 5G, we will start, for example, in Taidong, where it's very mountainous. Maybe there are still spots where 4G signals are weaker than usual. And we start 5G in those parts, making sure that everybody benefit equivalently from the digital opportunities offered, especially in healthcare and education. And we also make sure that people who want to work with, say, self-driving vehicles and so on, have the sandboxes to, to play with so that we can figure out the social norm around those vehicles. My personal office, the Social Innovation Lab, served as a living lab for self-driving vehicles uh, for quite a while, for a year and a half. And now I'm very happy to see, for example, on the dedicated bus lane, there's going to be self-driving buses that have capacity of uh, 9 and 35 respectively uh, now uh, on the road of Taipei and before end of the year they will start carrying passengers when the metro closes off after midnight. Minister Tang thank you very much for your time mm -hmm. and thank you for listening and for more check out TaiwanCanHelp.us You've been listening to Taiwan Matters with your host Nicholas Gould for transcripts of this show, more information on our guests, and the issues discussed, visit TaiwanMattersPodcast.com. In order not to miss upcoming Taiwan Matters podcasts, be sure to subscribe on your podcast app.